Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast, an exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back. Another day, another episode. <laughs> this is great. So where so did we excited. leave off? So yes. we started with the chapter two contents of the Gita summarized. We had left off on text seven. We began diving into the purport. We'll recap what we read in a moment, but there's a lot of great knowledge there in the purport that I feel is worth restating text seven. So, Perfect. So Shama. chapter two, chapter two, text seven. Okay. So what do we have? What, ha- what have we done so far in the last episode? So Arjuna is not ready to kill his family on the battlefield. I know we started, <laughs> we've, there's a lot to unload like, there. I want to run to right? the woods. Yeah. And he's like, he's throwing arguments at Krishna left, right, and center. He's like, he's he's coming up with all of these genius arguments right. in his mind. I must say, as the listener, you start thinking, yeah, Arjuna's correct. What? Why, Krishna? Why does he have to fight? Yeah, but then mm-hmm. Krishna also has a couple arguments and good points up his sleeve. And so in the past seven verses, we go from seeing Arjuna as this very combative, very fearful soldier, and then he starts at, actually at text seven, to turn into a disciple. He is like, like, okay, he throws his hands up and he's like, okay, I don't know what to do. Please instruct me. Do you know what that reminds me of? It's it's like, I don't know if that's a meme or something. I don't know. It's just like this picture in my head of like when someone's freaking out and then it like, they're like going crazy. They're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And then you like slap them and they're like, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> like, I feel like that's kind of like what Arjuna was going for. It was right. kind of like, I don't know, like there's some good points, but I also don't know. And then Krishna's like, what are you doing, fool? <laughs> And it almost, it almost made me think in real life, when we get to the point of surrender, where we're like to anyone, to a teacher, to a parent, to a friend, tell me what to do. It's often after we've gone through major confusion and Arjuna yes. spiraling in his existential crisis. So it's like resistance, resistance. No, no, I don't know. He has tears in his eyes. He's totally bewildered. And finally, once he went through all that suffering internally, then he's like, okay, I need help. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. He went through all the emotions. Yeah. So should we start with the invocation, ladies? Let's do it. Om Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Shakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances onto him. And we talk about spiritual master in this verse. So Look if you're following that. along, it's chapter two, text seven. Now I am confused about my duty and have lost all composure because of miserly weakness. In this condition, I am asking you to tell me for certain what is best for me. Now I am your disciple and a surrendered and a soul surrendered unto you. Please instruct me. So Priya had yesterday given a little bit of context. Do you want to repeat, Priya? What, what What's a disciple? What's a guru? Just briefly. I know oh, they're yeah. going to like get into more detail because it's a very deep internal and mysterious relationship. But just for now, let's give a little recap yeah. of... I mean, we were talking about, about the idea of a bona fide spiritual master because that phrase comes up a lot and it's like a... Co- <laughs> it's like not a common sentence right. or N- word. Nobody so walks like, around saying, hey, you're bona fide. You're my spiritual master. <laughs> you're my bona spirit. fide spiritual yeah, master. Yeah, it's not as common. I mean, at least in everyday life. So bona what did we say? It was like legit. Like, yeah, legit. legit. <laughs> it's like legit spiritual master. And in other texts, and I think maybe we'll even get into it in the Bhagavad Gita, we talk about like, what are the qualifications for someone who you should follow, right? Like right. what are, what kind of qualities do they exhibit every day, mm-hmm. right? And so we'll learn more about that later. But the idea is that this person really has 
all the knowledge, yep. right? They really can guide you. It's like any mentor that you've ever had in your life. I'm sure we all have had a mentor here or there in life. Mm-hmm. And they're like, listen. Yeah, because master somewhat sometimes has a negative connotation right. where you're like, mm-hmm. you're my master, I'm your servant. But it, master just means like, you're my mentor, you're my teacher, you're my guru. Right. It's like wax on, wax off, sensei, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's a respect thing. It's more like, I, I understand that you have the information to guide me and I don't, so I am like humbly coming to you and say, yo, teach me. And I think we had said this in one of the previous episodes that if you think you're not, um, not following anything, like no thing is above you. You have no master. You're in complete delusion. You're yep. the master, the, we're following capitalism. We're following all these pulls in nowadays, modern day. So why not follow someone that is imbibing, living all of these, breathing through this philosophy, you know, like those people that you see and you're like, whoa, you are something else. Like monks, right? They right. say that monks, like the happiness level of monks is so high because they meditate, right? It's like, if you want to learn to be happier, you study from a teacher right? Yeah. I was uh, listening to a random podcast. I'm not going to talk about which one. And um, it was not religious or anything like that. I I think it's like very cheesy. Anyways, they were talking about their spiritual practices just randomly. And they were saying that for the last, especially after the pandemic, and I think a lot of people experienced that it was like a shift in which they wanted to be connected. Mm -hmm. And they come from like, religious families. And so they rebelled. Anyways, the point of the story is that they were saying like, they, they, one of them was saying, I, I'm always seeking it for like a pattern to follow or like, what am I supposed to do spiritually? Like I feel a need, but I don't know what the steps I'm supposed to take. And so for us, like that's what the spiritual master is for. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's like, here are the steps that you can take for your self growth, for the benefit of mankind, for so on and, and so forth. And these are t- like tried and tested, right? It's yeah. not like he's just giving this information of like what you need to do without following it himself or herself, right? right? It's about like, okay, I know because I've lived through this journey, here is the path to peace and transcendence and like spiritual growth. And here's what I'm going to outline for you. Right. And it's kind of like, are you willing to do the case study on yourself? Do the experiment on yourself before you reject anything? Mm. Just be like, am I going to be open to taking that first step? And maybe whatever, meditating a little, doing the practices that it outlines and just see the transformation yeah. that um, takes place. Yeah, exactly. My favorite thing to say when it comes to anything spirituality is like, don't knock it till you try it. Like, <laughs> right, experiment right. with it. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. But if it does, then you tried it, right? And it's like, it, it, it's you've proven it to yourself. Right. But genuinely try it. Because there's so many times I can think of so many situations where someone might hear something and be like, eh, I don't believe in that. No, no, no. But open-heartedly try it. Mm-hmm. There's one part here. Give it a fair shake, huh? Right. (laughs) Do we want to dive into the purport or did you want to say anything about the text before? Oh, um, whatever whatever you want to say, go for it. Because there's one part of the purport that I think is very nice. Because if we assume, you know, we've been in this cycle of birth and death. And as Shama had said, the elevator, the rat race, up and down, up and down. For so long, there's one part here in the purport that says... This human form of life is a most valuable asset for the living entity who can utilize it for solving the problems of life. Therefore, one who does not utilize this opportunity properly is a miser Mm. (laughs) because it's such a it's such a rare thing to be coming into contact with such valuable philosophy with the consciousness to digest it. And it connects to one little thing that I'd like to read about free will, because it's only by our decision to embrace or reject spiritual life that we act as our own friend or our own enemy. Mm -hmm. It's we alone who elevate or degrade ourselves. So Krishna emphasizes that we're responsible 
for our own condition. The Lord does not force us to do good or evil. So he's not responsible for the joy and sorrow we experience in our day to day. We have free will. Isn't that beautiful? Because a lot of times, like when you, when you take a look at like religion and spiritual paths and stuff, it's like, people are like, oh, you're destined to do this. And, and to some degree, there is a little bit of destiny involved karmically. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but like we have the free will to choose. Right. 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 So, so often people are upset. Like how can God let all these bad things happen to good people? Well, we're kind of paving our path moving forwards by our decisions. Mm-hmm. I feel like you just, you just gave like a, I don't even know how to explain it. Like a sentence that covers a lot of what the Bhagavad Gita is all about. Right. Yeah. You're talking about karma. Uh, karma. You're talking about like the utility of this lifetime mm-hmm. and, and you're talking about free will and all these things. And I feel like we're going to mm-hmm. go later and kind of dissect them further because there's so much to that. And understanding what what does it mean that this lifetime is wasted unless we're seeking or trying to solve the problems of life, right? Like, yeah. what does that mean? So I think essentially, like, we, like we, how are we different from animals, right? Exactly. We both eat, sleep, mate, and defend, right? But I think according to Bhakti Yoga philosophy, the difference is that us as human beings have the ability to ask deeper questions, right? We yes. have the ability to say, why am I suffering? Why am I having good days? Why am I having bad days? Whereas animals, they don't have that ability to ask those existential questions, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so you know, that's why we can't waste this opportunity. Right. You know, Shama, I think based on what you're saying, it's kind of like, the way we see ourselves is the way we're going to act. And I have a few people in my life that I've come across that, I don't know, jokingly, they might say, ah, we're all animals. And I kind of think, well, I don't know about that. Maybe you're living your life currently in a way that you identify with that. But the way you see yourself is the way that's going to manifest in your thoughts and your actions. And you're creating your reality. And, and, and to be honest, like a lot of the world, if you're not like asking deeper questions, how are you different living than an animal lifestyle, right? We yeah, do the right. same four things that they do. Like there's, there's this phrase, right? We fight like cats and dogs, yep. right? But yeah. but that's having no compassion for the soul. Because if you're really trying to see what's important for the soul, then every living being you come into contact with is like, what can I say or do that's going to help their soul evolve on their journey? Oof, that's beautiful. You said mm. beautifully said. <laughs> Love that. Should we thank go you. to text eight, or do we want to share anything else? No, I'm good. There was just one part here in, in the purport that I love that it just says how you know talking about how Arjuna approached Krishna in a sincere way as a disciple, and it just says Krishna is therefore the original spiritual master of the science mm. of Bhagavad Gita, and Arjuna is the first disciple for understanding the Gita. Oh, that's a big line. That's a big that's line. Really so they nice. spoke this in the battlefield in front of, I think that was deliberate also, right? Because they could have gone to a corner and spoken it privately. Oftentimes conversations with your spiritual master, they're private. They go to the middle of the battlefield in front of both sides. It's very public. To very public, (laughs) to have this conversation. They're like Instagram living this for the entire battlefield. (laughs) Right, that's like the Kurukshetra version of Instagram live. So they're wanting it to be spread. They're wanting everyone to benefit from this conversation. So we're just carrying through the conversation by keeping it alive now and everyone can partake in it. Love it. All right, Shamali, do you want to take us to text number eight? Text eight. I can find no means to drive away this grief, which is drying up my senses, Arjuna says. I will not be able to dispel it even if I win a prosperous, unrivaled kingdom on earth with sovereignty like the demigods in heaven. Ooh, so this is a little what we talked about yesterday. He's just at a crossroads feeling like it's going to be a lose-lose either way, which shows what a good man he is. Yeah, he's like, even, I, if, even, if, I, even if I win, What's it's the not, not going to be fun. You know what I <laughs> mean? <laughs> right. When all these... 
people, his family, they've treated him so poorly, but he's still taking them into consideration. Yeah. Um, it's, there's a line here that says, um, academic knowledge, scholarship, high position, etc., are all useless in solving, solving the problems of life. Help can be given only by a spiritual master like Krishna. Therefore, the conclusion is that a spiritual master is one who is 100% Krishna consciousness. It, he is the bona fide spiritual master for he can solve all the problems of life. That's great. So I think it's just like the thought of um, logically, you cannot solve this, right? You can't just be like, well, it, it's really hard. That's why he's coming to Krishna because he's like, okay, I know rightfully that the religious scriptures say if you kill an elder that's bad if you do this that's bad if you do this that's bad why would i want to do this mm -hmm. right but on the other hand like I have a responsibility as a chatriya right as a warrior that i am supposed to protect the citizens who are suffering because of this also right so like logic is not working at this point mm -hmm. and he's like you know something that i don't essentially I, yeah. I love that line what you just read priya about academic knowledge scholarship and high positions etc 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 all those things in life they're useless to solving the actual problems of life you know i'm wrapping up my masters i'm considering getting a phd not because i think i don't like this book in front of all of us is the highest of the highest philosophy but i just feel for different reasons anyway in those circles cir social circles i start seeing people are so confused mm -hmm. still about everything that's mm. essential and important. Yeah, it's nice. You can do some research and prove some nice little things there, here and there. Shamali, I'm just saying your PhD is going to be useless. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Shia. Thank joking. you, Shia. Oh boy, I'm going to go have an existential crisis after this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah, but... Um, but in this contest, it is yeah. useless, right? Because there's, there's practical knowledge and theoretical knowledge right. that we get. It makes me think, thank God I'm not relying on the academic knowledge to solve my life problems. I might be doing it for other reasons. I think I could reach people or do something in service with that. Maintain but, your livelihood. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Get some money because we need money in this yeah. life to, to survive. <laughs> survive. <laughs> um, but yeah, it doesn't help you with actually feeling because everyone in those elite positions, they still have anxieties yes. when they think of death, when they think, what am I even doing? What's the point of it all? They go home from teaching those high, high knowledge classes and they still are riddled with the anxieties mm -hmm. that plague everybody. Yep. Yeah. They you don't can, have the solution. You can be a CEO or a millionaire mm -hmm. or accomplished entrepreneur matter. but if you can't figure out your own mind your own anxiety then then what is it like the, what you can never find happiness and peace right yeah and that right. connects to like what are these actual problems that people face right because we talk mm -hmm. about problems and people can be like well you know i have no problems my or car is yellow and i actually would like it to be blue <laughs> no that's not nah, that's fool. not a problem <laughs> nah, fool, that's not a real problem <laughs> <laughs> but so here it actually says the problems of material existence birth Old age, disease, and death cannot be counteracted by accumulation of wealth and economic development, right? Like no right. matter how rich you are, just like you were saying, no matter how wealthy, how popular, famous, whatever it might be, you will still have to be born. Yep. You will still get old. Mm -hmm. You would still have sickness in your life and you will still get dead. Get dead, girl. Get dead, girl. <laughs> but so it's dry. true. Those four things are inevitable for every single soul that's born in this planet. Those four things. You said, can you repeat them? Yes. Birth, old age, disease, and death. Yeah. Inevitable for every single soul. Isn't that wild? Right. And it further says in so many parts of the world that, that they have all of the facilities of life. They have wealth. They're economically developed. 
these problems, which Priya just outlined, are still present. They're seeking, the people are just running around almost like with their heads cut off metaphorically, seeking peace, but they can only achieve real happiness if it's in tune with this deep spiritual knowledge, the science that the Bhagavad Gita is outlining. Yep. And that's what the entire world is looking for. You know, I, I like to picture it like little thought bubbles. If you see everyone in this world, no matter their position, their background, whatever, little thought bubbles, and they're all contemplating the same thing. They're all wanting Mm -hmm. the same thing. It's just worded differently, masked by different things, but the thought bubbles are all the same. So just picture the globe with just one collective giant thought bubble, which is we are tired. (laughs) (laughs) Death is coming. Oh my God. What are we supposed to do here? Right, right. (laughs) Um, I think even if you think about like kids and like every, every stage, that statement, we are tired actually works because as a kid, you're like tired of waiting or tired of like, there's always something like at every stage of life where you can be tired. I'm like, can I say something about yeah. it? When you said kid, I just flashed to one of the students I teach. It was in the middle. I tried to make the lessons fun, but it was one lesson that I was like, sorry, kids, we have, we got to learn this. I look over one second grader, he's crying. And I walk over and I was like, Jack, what's wrong? And he's like, so bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He's crying. He's crying. <laughs> Oh my yeah, God. No, you're right, Priya. Like as you're growing up, you're tired of being a kid. You want to grow up. You know what I mean? When you're a teenager, you're tired of your yeah. teenage acne. When you're an adult, you're tired, of, you're tired of your adult acne. You know what I mean? Like you're just constantly tired. We're always chasing the mirage of like, and one day, if I only gain this, I will be happy. But stop chasing the mirage. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not right. real. You know, there's one little, can I read one little tidbit that one of the teachers in our line says about the irony, what's funny about mundane, like material life. Absolutely. It's <laughs> it says that for all our vanity, right? Because we're so vain, we like to think of ourselves in such a whatever high way. We drastically underestimate ourselves. We think that we're mortal when truly, if we can think on the soul level, we're immortal. We endure painful limits to our knowledge, our joy. But as parts of God, as parts of Krishna who's in our heart, one is entitled to that limitless joy and awareness. And we just have to only claim it. It's there waiting for us. All right, break that down for us. Break it down, break it down. <laughs> just saying that, In life, when we live in a society that wants to think so highly of ourselves, likes to think we're the best, we're the best, we're underestimating ourselves in the biggest way by thinking we're we're temporary when really, and that's on the bodily level, our body's temporary. But if we think on a soul level, the soul's immortal. Uh, So that's why if we can think on that platform... We're limitless. I love that. The soul is immortal. And I think chapter two, we're going to get to this, is like talking about the immortality mm-hmm. of the soul. And that's just, I love that. I love that. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's like the soul is kind of like Wolverine. Like it can never die. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So if you can think in those terms, we're all Wolverine. Yeah, we're all Wolverine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so Pri, you want to take it away with text nine? Um, is there anything else? I think th- there is a, a bit of here where it says like, so that you can, so now you can tell that material comforts Whoa, let me try that again. If material comforts could drive away one's lamentation, Arjuna wouldn't have said what he just said, which is like, even with the kingdom, even with- Even the, if I win, it's going to suck. Exactly. Right. So yeah. that, that gives knowledge that he even knows, right? He knows that he, like he, once he wins the kingdom, he'll have everything, but he knows that he's not going to be happy with exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. That shows that, that's yeah, a big life how intelligent he is. Because like we said, the last episode, I said something about Jim Carrey saying, if everyone could be uh, famous- 
just so they could see that's not the answer to happiness. Yeah. Arjuna didn't even have to win the kingdom mm. to know I'm not going to be happy once I get that. Yes. And I think that's such a big life lesson for all of us is like we think that like if we win the lottery, that'll mm-hmm. solve our problems. Then we'll be happy. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's not how it works. And it's it's kind of it goes on to talk a little bit about how everything ends eventually. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So the idea like there's a paragraph that says even elevation into a higher planetary situation can also be finished at one stroke. So like even going to live and this is kind of complex because we're talking about a higher planetary system, but like, let's say the planets where demigods live, right. Where there's a lot more enjoyment and it's a, it's more like a party planet kind of place. (laughs) Uh, So like even in those places, the time in which you're there is limited and you will be there for a certain amount of time and then it's over. And then what was it worth it killing all my, my family members for that? Like he's really, smart honestly to be thinking this far out right i like that point priya that that it will come to an end you know one of the swamis in our line also says like the the wave of time is approaching us so we try to build walls around our sand castles that inevitably will be washed away by the wave of time that's going to reach everyone even as you say in whatever realm you're at the Mm -hmm. most enjoyment you're still going to have everything taken away by the wave of time and it's what you've cultivated inside that's going to last i love that you can spend your whole life of trying to build a mansion, you know what I mean? Right. And just like put all the pretty things inside the mansion and have a nice like white picket fence around it. But time will eventually erode it all Ooh, away. I like that imagery, uh, Shama, because I, I pictured like how many, okay, how many mansions you drive by and you think, are the is the person really happy? And then mm. I had a flash of like, right, an older person sitting with all the wealth they've accumulated mm-hmm. their whole lives. They're sitting alone by themselves, by themselves oh. in a huge mansion. That's happy? like a personal, like when I first moved to LA, like I had a great job. I was making so much money. I lived in a fancy luxury apartment. But you I never had, invited us to this fancy luxury I, apartment. I I'm sorry, I did go. But like when I originally moved there, I had everything. I had all of the opulences, but I was so sad because I had, I didn't have friends. I didn't have a community. Right. I didn't have my like spiritual path. You know what I mean? And it's, it's true. It's like, you can w- drive by all of these mansions, but you don't know what it's like to live inside. If you don't have community, you don't have spiritual practice. You don't have all right. of the things yeah. that make life worth living. Right. I live in a, in a smaller apartment with my family and across the street, is the entire block taken up by the house of the guy who wrote The Simpsons. And it's the entire block is his oh house. My so that's you know, nothing to do with the, where I live, but I get to see it. I think, haha, we both live in the same neighborhood. Much <laughs> different, much <laughs> different <laughs> outcomes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you're, you're, you're must not be happy still. That's not the key. I mean, hopefully he's happy, but. Well, I guess so. Well, all, all the best for the writer of The Simpsons. For sure, for sure. <laughs> Love the Just, you know, wishing him well, but definitely there's, there, it's, not there, the key. it's what's within, right? At the end of the day. And so the last sentence here on uh, text eight, it says, therefore, if we want to curb lamentation for good, then we have to take shelter of Krishna as Arjuna is seeking to do. Yep. And that's what we're all looking for, right? We're yeah. looking for something higher than ourselves mm. that we can focus on and that we can build a relationship with. That will withstand that wave of time. Love that. I really like that point. The wave. Mm-hmm. Good visual. Radhanath Swami. <laughs> we had mentioned his book before, The Journey Home. He talked about that analogy. And if anyone re- wants to read The Journey Home, such a beautiful... You get it on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not, we're not sponsored by that whatsoever. <laughs> if you want to sponsor us, we're here. Uh, you know, we're here. We're here. Shout out. <laughs> All, right, All right. Text All number right. nine. Is it me? Yes. All right. Sanjaya said, having spoken thus, Arjuna, chastiser of enemies, told Krishna, Govinda, I shall not fight, felt silent. 
Okay, I feel here we need to Sanjaya. remind people about okay Sanjaya. It's like we're having uh, you know we're having a conversation oh, with Krishna and Arjuna, and then someone might be like, "Wait, why Who's is Sanjaya? Sanjaya speaking?" Yeah. So Sanjaya is the advisor of the blind king, Jitarastra. Yeah. Secretary, yeah, that's what we call him before. Secretary, yeah. That's good, uh, just to remember. Right. Continue. And he, Sanjaya was gifted for the purposes of, see, Dhritarashtra begged to Lord Krishna, please give me the vision to be able to, to see what's going on. I'm blind. I want to understand what's happening on Wait, this battle. Wait, who's Dhritarashtra again? The blind Evil king. D. Evil D. And he, he's the dad of all of the bad guys. Right. The hundred bad so guys. He, okay, the right. bad guys. So he guys. wants to be able to know what's going on on the battlefield. So his secretary, I doubt Sanjaya would like that title. But his secretary, <laughs> he's Sanjaya. He's a male secretary. <laughs> <laughs> he was gifted to be able to see past, present, future within all hearts. So he's able to, he's recounting the entire story live as it's unfolding to Evil D. Got it. The blind king. He's like, like, do you remember Miss Cleo? Who's she Ms. was Cleo? she was a fortune teller on okay, on, on, on like Shama. she did she did she lived like TV <laughs> TV adver- infomercials. Right? Is this in Canada? Yeah, I mean, it was Canada. <laughs> it was really amazing. Hi, my name's Miss Cleo. I know the future. Call me now. She was Jamaican. <laughs> I was trying to do my Jamaican accent, but basically, Sanjaya is like Miss Cleo because he can basically see right. the future and he can <laughs> see the present and he can see it clearly. And he's advising his blind king about what's going on. Right. So, so then, so then, when he hears like, "Oh, I'm not going to fight for Marjuna," Dutaras is like, "Oh, heck yeah, mm-hmm. this yep. is good for me, right?" Like he it says right. in the purport, he was very glad that Arjuna was not going to fight and instead was leaving for begging for the begging profession, right? Because although he knows the Pandavas <laughs> are good and loves them, he wants his son to win. He's yeah. attached to the wrong evil side, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> True, it's part of it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so I think Arjuna is kind of like a toddler in, in, in the, like I always picture him. He's like, cause he's throwing all of these arguments and then he's just like, nope, not going to do it. Krishna, I'm not going to fight anymore. You know, and he's just like, he's like, I can literally visualize him throwing down all of his weapons. And he's like, nope, not today. Right. Can't do this. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else? I think that covers, that's a shorter one. Yes. Text 10. All right. Text 10. Oh, descendant of Bartha. At that time, Krishna, smiling in the midst of both armies, spoke the following words to the grief-stricken Arjuna. Well, also, how, what a cool imagery that like they're in the middle of chaos. We're on a battlefield. Here comes this radiant personality and just smiles. Smiling. <laughs> kind of like when a kid is having a tantrum and you look at him like, oh, my child. Yeah. You radiate the peace to them because you have a higher knowledge of what is going on. Yeah. And it says in the purport that Krishna was smiling because a friend had chosen to become a disciple. Oh, you know, and he was just like, OK, like I understand what you're going through, but you've you've detached and you've surrendered and you've let me know that you need my help. And I think that's just a, such a beautiful place. And that's why Krishna was smiling. Oh, I love that, because the next line also, I think, gives an insight to we're going ourselves uncovering who is this personality, Krishna, and what are his qualities? Because it says, as Lord of all, he is always in the superior position as the master of everyone. And yet the Lord agrees to be a friend, a son or a lover for a devotee who wants him capital him in such a role. So he values these spontaneous personal interactions so much mm. that he's OK falling into those roles rather than like bow down to me. I'm your master. Yeah. And it, and it, and it says that 
it appears that the talk between the, the master and the t- disciple was openly exchanged in the presence of both armies. So imagine right. you're on a battlefield. The, everyone's blowing their conscience. <laughs> it's all live. Everyone's, it's all live, right? Everyone's about to start the war. And then they're having this conversation, right? And so it's not like the other the other like soldiers are on Candy Crush on their phone. Like they're like <laughs> listening to the conversation, right? And it's so that both of the armies were benefited by this conversation. Yeah. Right, which is what we were saying. The Bhagavad Gita is not for any particular person, society, or community, but it's for everyone, all friends, all enemies. Yeah, because the other side Good were bad, the enemies. Yeah. Are equally entitled to this sacred knowledge. Love that. All right, anything else for that text? That all was right. the main point. Love very, it. Very text well 11. said, guys. Very well said. All righty. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the text 11 says, the Supreme Personality of Godhead said, while speaking learned words, you are mourning for what is not worthy of grief. Those who are wise lament neither for the living nor for the dead. Now, we definitely need to break this down a little because, right, at first, like we sp- spoke about last episode, what do you mean not lament for the dead? It's so natural. But, you know, last episode, we broke down a little the difference with sadness versus lamentation. Of course, you're going to feel sad because you're attached to them. But don't let it spiral into a deep lamentation that you get depressed because there is the difference with the soul and the body. So their soul continues. And anyway, we'll go hammering yeah, down we'll go on this deeper point into more. this I think, one. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to share. I don't know how, but this this particular verse has been ingrained in my mind. Yes. Since I was like, really young. Yes. What about and it, Priya? Made I it just stick. don't I have no idea why. But I mm. always remember those who are wise lament neither the living for neither for the living nor the dead. Like that's always something that I've remembered. And I've had several People in my life pass away. I've I've literally seen a person take their last breath. And in those moments, I remember feeling sad, but I also like remember the verse. And it was like, I don't know if it's just, I, I, I there was not a lack of compassion. There was not a lack right. of anything, but I understood, yeah. at least for me, that this person was better off. Yeah. That was like always my thought. Like they're better off. They're not feeling ill. They're not feeling... Uh, you know, like, honestly, the people who end up being in the struggling position are their family members. Mm-hmm. Right. Or they're, they're close, you know, the the friends, everyone who was near them. But in reality, um, they, they're they better off in that situation there, you know? I think I, it's because you were smart. You understood that their journey continues. Like, their soul continues on yeah. to another body. And it's it's a shame. Like, there's, there's you know, Abrahamic religions out there that believe there's only one life, right? And it's different mm. when Eastern philosophy, like Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, and, and, and Bhakti Yoga, believe in this continuation of life. Like, the soul yes, moves on right. to another body. So, why be sad, right? Oh my God, can I say one thing about exactly what you just said? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is going to sound silly, but um, I watched this show. Um, it's it's pretty new and it's called The Time Traveler's Wife. I don't know if you guys have heard yes, about I've it. Yes, I've heard of it. Okay, cool. So there is one interesting part in, in the scene, which kind of reminds me of the, what you just said, Shama. And it was, uh, there's obviously a wife and a husband and they, the husband is uh, has a sickness of time travel. So he can't help it. He just... See, he has to like, try time like, travel? Like, let's say like when you have to sneeze, you can't control that. Well, instead, like he just disappears from this time <laughs> period and appears. And he goes to the 70s. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so um, so he was sharing with his wife to be at that time. They were just talking and he and she was like, oh, tell me about your parents. And he said, oh, well, my mother died. And then she said, oh, you must miss her dearly. 
And he just looked at her like, uh, like, you must not understand time travel. Because he's like, I see her all the time. Wow. Because the idea is he travels back to when she was alive. He gets to interact with her normally, like a person that's just in the same time period. And so it almost kind of is a similar concept to reincarnation Reincarnation. because it's like, if you have a connection to this person and you still have some karma with that person, you will see them again at some point and you will fulfill that. And so the idea that death is not the end. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What we are, we might be sad because it's like, okay, on this body, it's like, man, I can't hug them anymore physically. Their body's gone. But I love what you're saying, Priya, because it's like, if we can just take a step back from that and let it really sink in, which is hard, but let it sink in that there is that other transcendental realm, meaning it goes beyond this physical realm of what I can touch. And we're connected to them forever. Their soul continues, but we have that connection there. And if we can try to become more aware of that other realm beyond this physical one, then it becomes less sad. And it's kind of like what Priya is saying, the time traveler's wife in a different context is always connected still. Yeah, this yeah. is a beautiful verse. I love this verse. So why would why did it make such an impact in your life? Because you, Shama, you said also that you also remember this verse always. Oh, 100%. I heard it growing up, but then when, like my father passed away um, last year and I always look to this verse, actually a lot of chapter two, mm. because I know that I will see him again. Mm, you know what I mean? Right. It's true. It's just like, yeah. I like the... The, in, the karma that you have with like your immediate family members and the people that have made a big impact in your life, you're, you're also your, your spouse or whatnot. Those are people that you have a lot of shared karma with, right? right. You have to enter, if, if your karma is not settled with them in this lifetime, and we'll talk about that a little bit further, then you will definitely see them again, right? So it's very temporary in nature. And so it's, it's, it's the, those who are wise aren't sad for those who are living and those who are dead. And so mm. it really puts things in perspective when yeah. people pass away in your life. Definitely. There's there's this part here that says the body is born and is destined to be vanquished today or tomorrow. Therefore, the body is not as important as the soul. Yes. And so a lot of this chapter talks about the soul and what the soul is and what it does and how powerful it is. Yeah. And it connects to what Shamali was saying. It's like, the soul continues and that soul has a connection to other souls. It has a connection to Krishna. So like Mm -hmm. the soul is really the important part here. Yep. And it even uses the word, I'm liking that we did the distinction between sadness and lamentation because it says one who knows this is actually learned. And for him, there is no cause of lamentation, regardless of the condition of the material body. So, right. You're going to be sad naturally, but just try to keep this present moving forwards. You know, um, yeah, this has been always a topic for me. I feel I came into this world super existential. I remember being five years old and really having death present when maybe most kids don't think about it and being afraid that my parents were going to die. So this topic of death of loved ones felt it so deeply as something you knew, like- You knew what death was as a five-year-old? Oh, no, no. I remember being like, even young, as early on as I can remember, Shama, and my mom would, for example, would be on the beach. She'd go to the bathroom and I remember scanning like, when's she going to come back? When's she going to come back? Because I had- a thought of death so deeply ingrained. Actually, side note, one astrologer once told me that in a previous life, I had a very traumatic death that somehow connects to this one. So maybe- That actually makes so much sense. <laughs> right. And maybe yeah. it's something to overcome because actually Priya and I had a talk when we were a few weeks ago in a spiritual retreat. And it's so true that she has, it makes sense, Priya, why you had this verse so deeply ingrained because she has a beautiful, calm approach with death. Not to mean it's not going to be sad, but she really lets this lesson settle in because- 
as of two weeks ago, I learned, I learned that two people I really care about in two different ways. One is like my spiritual grandma who took care of me growing up. And another one is actually someone who I'd, I want as my spiritual master. Both of them, their cancer came back and this time is terminal. So I found about two people in a matter of two days and it felt like too much. <laughs> so I had a long talk with Priya one night trying to let this, um, yeah, to let this settle in because it is difficult. It doesn't mean that we don't understand. It's not, it's gonna be hard, but trying to come to terms with this, that the connection's always gonna be there. So while when I think of my parents departing, it causes like a paralysis in my heart. I feel this weight, even now through interactions of good moments. I hug them. We're in a nice moment. And I'm constantly aware of like, but this won't last forever. Yeah. And it, it weighs on my heart, but I'm really trying to wrap my head around it. Even though I love them so much, they're going to be okay because they're going to continue. We're going to connect again in a different way, in a different realm. Yeah. And the love will still be there. You know what's so crazy is I'm still thinking about you as a five-year-old knowing about death. <laughs> no, and like, really, yeah. And, and like your astrologer saying that you had a traumatic death because I was reading, like, this is not academic at all, but it was a BuzzFeed <laughs> article, right? right? About parents whose toddlers... And up until like three to five years old, mm. they can remember things right. from their I past life. So there's little kids out there. They're born in like, let's say America, for instance, but they know all of the street signs in a tiny town in Scotland. And they've never right. been to Scotland before. You know what I mean? Oh, there's so and much evidence about that. Right. So much evidence and so many stories about, and I think it's about until four or five years old, toddler, some toddlers can remember their past lives. And so for you to have a traumatic death and then have so much fear as a five-year-old right. about death of your parents, right. like that means like there is something there. Past, something, something there, there. right? I mean, even when we were talking, when Shamali and I were talking a few weeks back at the retreat, I was saying like the, the fact that this is all coming together at this time, right? right? The timing of everything. The timing of all of the, the you know, the, the news of these right. people passing away and the conversations and the fact that we're reading chapter two of the Bhagavad right. Gita. The fact that we're having these conversations, there's some big lesson here for Shamali to process mm. like, wow, this is a, something that's, you know, so maybe karmically with you, within you that you have to figure out like right. how and to not let it right take you down, right? right? Like how to not, how to be able to say like, okay, these people are still important to me. They still, you know? Right. And based on what you're saying, Priya, I like, cause it's kind of foreshadowing the point that the timing of everything, right. There is a superior being perfectly guiding the timing <laughs> of everything to help you. Well, me in this case, me specifically learn the lessons I need to learn, but that's for everyone. Every instance in your life is guided. If you just open the blinds and open your eyes is for you to learn the lessons you need to learn. Yeah. So this is hard for me, not to say that it's, it's yeah. a walk through the park or peaches and cream, as there's a saying in Spanish, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> it's difficult and yeah. it, I don't like it at all. And I still, I honestly, I cry every day still about it. And I believe in the philosophy. Doesn't mean yeah. I don't believe, I know it's their soul will continue. It's, yes. a process. it's a process and coming to terms with this is difficult, but it's a necessary step yes. if you're going to truly be free and liberated internally. One hundred percent. I heard an astrologer once say to me that every soul in this lifetime has about three lessons to learn. Mm. Oh, and so whoa. whether it's like you're dating the same type of dude and right. he's like, that's not so common. Training, no? You know what I mean? It's like, what is the lesson that you have to learn here? Right. Yours might be about death and surrender. Right. right. And how to deal with that. Death of loved ones. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so every single soul we have to come, we learn, we have to learn those three lessons. If we don't learn them, 
them, we reincarnate again right. and yeah. again and again until we learn them. So if, if right. some, so I've heard some of my friends be like, oh my God, this keeps happening to me. This keeps it's happening to me. that mm. pattern. So it's like, what is the lesson that that the universe or God or right. like, you know, karma is trying to teach me. Right. And can I say one quick thing? You know, I actually, after my grandma passed away, I used to call her abuelita, mi abuelita. I, I saw, I have a friend who's an energy healer. I was in a session with her. I didn't even tell her that my grandma had passed away. I spoke zero about my grandma. All of a sudden she says, oh my God, your abuelita is in the room. I had my eyes closed and she said, and she's calling you something. She's calling, she's looking at you smiling and saying, did she used to call you gordita? Because in Spanish, it's a very common, like yes. endearing name, like mi gordita. It's like and, a chubby, and, cute kid. Yeah. And it my, sounds like Taco Bell gordita. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a burrito. And my eyes filled with tears because she was saying, Natalie, the energy healer, was saying, she's here and she's wanting me to tell you she is happy now. She is there in another realm with her people. She is good. She is good. So if we can just lift the veil and see the other realm it's less, it's more peaceful. It's only scary on the bodily level that their body's left, but their soul's okay. That is wild. And so lift the veil to the other that. realm. And I'm so glad you brought back the soul because I think we're about to get into what the soul is. Oh. And should we save it for the next episode? Let's save yeah. it for the next episode. <laughs> we're going to leave them with the little hook. So if you want the answers to lifting the veil and being okay with death. <laughs> Tune into the next episode. There we go. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really see, appreciate you. See you next time. See ya. Hello, beautiful souls. If you like what you're hearing, please follow us on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast. And if you love what you're hearing, please make sure to share a link to our podcast at Modern Yogi Podcast with all your friends, families, and long lost cousins. And if you have any questions at all, send us a DM on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thank you for listening to The, the Modern, Modern Yogi. Yogi.